Hello from Teaching Magazine, I'm Jo Earp and welcome to this special episode looking back on our podcast highlights from 2020. I'm Rebecca Vukovic and I'm Dominique Russell. Well, we're at the end of another year and uh, what a year it's been for everyone. It's been a massive effort from teachers, school leaders, parents and students. Everyone really pulling together to keep going through the pandemic lockdown and then the return to a different school life than before. For the teacher podcast team then, we started the year at our recording studio in Melbourne and we're ending it still working remotely from home. We've spoken to some amazing educators during 2020 and we spoke to experts around the world to bring you the latest in education research. So today, we're gonna take a look back at some of our personal highlights. Let's get started. Okay, for my first pick this year, we're gonna go back to February. It's a Research Files episode on trauma-informed practice in schools. I interviewed Dr. Emily Berger. She's an educational developmental psychologist at Monash Uni in Melbourne. On the day we recorded the episode, um, Australia, if you remember, was battling those huge bushfires. And part of the conversation about helping kids and yourself through difficult times, it really stuck in my mind as we continued through the year. So in this episode, we covered lots of information about terminology, the benefits of trauma-informed practice for all students, and some of the different approaches that schools can take as well. There's lots of great information in there. We talked about the principles of trauma-informed care, And one of those things is consistency and the fact that different children will have different triggers to provoke the fight or flight response. So in this audio snippet, Emily's talking about some of the common triggers. I've seen a range of things both through, you know, through my research, but also through working as a psychologist. It could be things such as uh, a teacher raising their voice. Uh, It could be things such as a door being closed to the classroom so students feeling that they don't have control over the situation and can't escape as you say fight or flight is all all about I'm either going to stay here and fight or I'm going to flee and is there something in my way that's stopping me from fleeing the situation so teachers are raising their voice or a door being uh, closed uh, to the classroom it can be changes in routine that's probably a really big one and that's mm-hmm. a part of the principles of course that we'll talk about um, having consistency in the approach not only consistency across home in school but also consistency in terms of how the teachers actually respond to students doing as you say you're going to do for these students so not changing the rules halfway through for students that's all about this approach of consistency and collaboration. That was Dr Emily Berger our guest on Research Files episode 57 about trauma-informed practice. This was such an interesting episode to listen to and It's interesting too that you recorded this podcast back in February before the pandemic really hit here in Australia, but there's so much from this podcast that teachers could take and and potentially use with their students in response to the pandemic as well. Yeah, I completely agree. When you said, Joe, that this was an episode that stuck in your mind all year, it definitely has for me too. I think it's such an important topic that's obviously got such an ongoing relevance. And I think it's a really great one to have a, a really valuable episode to have in our archives for teachers to access whenever they need. 
Mm -hmm. We mentioned there about sticking in our minds as we went through the year. And uh, when, when the first wave of the pandemic hit Australia, there was a very rapid switch to teaching and learning from home. My second podcast highlight for 2020 is an episode on how schools adapted to emergency remote teaching. My guest was one of our colleagues here at ACR, Professor Pauline Taylor-Guy. She's director of the ACR Institute and the Centre for School and System Improvement. We spoke about how teachers and leaders adapted their practice to ensure continuity of teaching and learning, um, some of the early research that they'd done on the impact of school closures, and also the fact that actually schools were starting to think a lot more about the kind of normality that they wanted to return to. So, you know, the new things that they wanted to keep and the old things they wanted to ditch. And that's what Professor Pauline Taylor-Guy is talking about in this snippet. For example, um, schools networking with each other to be able to, the possibility of schools networking with each other to offer particular subjects, for example, an understanding that a school day doesn't necessarily have to be um, from nine till three, that you could have some flexibility in a school day. So these are all things that teachers, um, and when we know schools are, are, are kind of considering. And there was um, a lovely example uh, from one of the systems we're working with, that where they're saying, well, we've turned off all of these things. Which things are we going to turn on now and why? Um, because and that's part of like system reflection as well as school reflection, things that have worked really well. Um, and I certainly think that some of the collaboration that's happened within schools and across schools has been really beneficial. And people are already thinking about ways in which they could um, use the learning that they've, they've had in recent turbulent weeks to be able to plan for their students better and have better infrastructure maybe and better skills in their teachers to be able to offer a curriculum more flexibly. What we've seen with different schools is adapting as they go with their strategies. So going from taking a role every day, having students sitting in front of a computer for most of the day, which is really uh, not great practice and not sustainable and very exhausting for students and for teachers, to thinking about, well, what is it that we really need to concentrate on? How are we going to chunk up learning so that there are opportunities, particularly for older students, to be able to do independent learning, um, to have timetables that are um, uh, where they can go do physical activity and various different uh, activities. Um, so we've seen schools adapt as they go and really try and focus on the important things, having catch-up sessions, for example, rather than timetable classes, so kind of Q&A sort of ideas. That was Professor Pauline Taylor-Guy from our episode on how schools adapted to emergency remote teaching. And it'll be interesting to see what happens as things return to some kind of normality. I'm going to give a quick plug now to another episode, my chat with OECD Director of Education and Skills and longtime teacher columnist Andreas Schleicher. He's got some really interesting thoughts on what the new normality might look like. So that's well worth a listen. Definitely worth a listen. And I'm sure that episode with Pauline Taylor Guy proved really helpful for many teachers navigating remote learning for the first time this year. On to my podcast highlights now. The first podcast I'd like to share was one we published right at the beginning of the year in January. It stands out to me because it was actually the last time I was able to record a podcast interview face-to-face -face before the pandemic hit. 
John Munro and I sat down at the radio studio in Melbourne to record a Research Files episode on gifted education. We spoke about how to identify gifted learners, how to understand their learning needs, and how to encourage them to reach their potential in the classroom and beyond. John has such a wealth of experience. He's a professor of educational psychology and exceptional learning at the Australian Catholic University, but he's also a trained primary and secondary teacher and a registered psychologist, so he offers some really interesting insights and practical strategies for teachers in this episode. I'll play a short snippet from the interview for listeners now. It's John discussing the way that teachers should give feedback to gifted learners that avoids peer comparison. As teachers all the time, the feedback uh, we give should it should recognise what it is that the person knows. It should have some positive emotion in it, so the students link positive emotion with the ideas. But also, there should be a bit of direction. But what about, or where might it go next, or why do you think that? So in terms of giving feedback to the gifted students, we need to bear in mind what we're giving feedback for. Um, In a regular classroom, I will give feedback when a child has taken the information and given it back to me, when they've shown they've learnt it. With a gifted child, I also need to give feedback by saying, by looking for what they know now, not how well has the teaching worked. Because these students have actually gone a whole lot further than the teaching. And so I, the, I need to um, have them know that they'll get feedback for telling me all that they know or believe about it now. You know, what is their theory about it? What are the possibilities that they see? And I need to be prepared to give feedback for that. I will give feedback for that to any student, but I know the gifted students will be able to do that much better. Yeah, I really enjoyed that episode. And John Monroe, as you say, what a legend he is. So I was really envious that you got to interview him. Um, what I really love about this particular snippet is that idea that, you know, what's the purpose of feedback? Because often we kind of miss that and think, oh, yeah, I need to give feedback. But actually sitting down and having a clear think about what it's for and how it's going to benefit the student and your understanding of their learning too. So, yeah, that's a big highlight for me as well this year. Yeah, I was so glad you picked this episode. I got so much out of it. It was just filled with such amazing insight. And as you say, even just from that clip there, there are so many things that you could pick out and apply to your own teaching. I liked as well, further on in the episode, you also touched on the social and emotional needs of gifted learners, because that's obviously such an important consideration to make as well. Yeah, I was really looking for something that teachers could find some practical strategies in. So this podcast is full of them. Another podcast that I'd like to share from this year was my chat with Lisa C. Raj, a teacher at Childside Playgroup and School in Boynup, Western Australia, about 200 kilometres south of Perth. I always love the opportunity to sit down with teachers to talk about their practice or their school and the issues affecting their local communities. Lisa's school is quite unique. It's an independent co-educational school covering kindergarten to year 10. The school was founded in 2002 with a focus on relationships, engagement and connectivity 
and Lisa teaches in a multi-age class of 23 students across years 7 to 10. I really wanted to hear more about how she manages the classroom on a daily basis, the range of abilities that she caters for in her classroom, and how she provides each student with the appropriate level of challenge to progress in their learning. Here's Lisa discussing how she assesses students when they're at such different levels. There, there are many, many different ways to do this. Um, and we don't, we don't look to just one outcome. So for example, we will look at various forms of assessment along a child's journey. So you've got to remember that our children stay in a cluster potentially for, for four years. So we get to know the child very well. Therefore, we can, we can actually look at a child's progression. It's not just about recording uh, data sets. The other thing we can do is we use um, websites that have online learning elements that are aligned to the curriculum, such as Mathletics, uh, Word Flyers, Read Theory. So you can, you can get a comparison grading so that you can see where the children are sitting within the curriculum framework. But again, you can, because we have such, uh, such in-depth knowledge of the child, we can inbuild assessments just throughout the, throughout the day. You know, we have opportunities because we're such a small class to have conversations with children. We have time to sit down and work with them. And we see their progression from, you know, year seven to year 10. We keep video recording so we can look back, compare the, the, uh, the growth that they've made. So we're looking more at personalised progressions than actual a year level attainment shall we say that's such a good quote to pick up on there and I agree it's always so fascinating to hear about educators working in such unique school contexts and to have the opportunity to share the fantastic work they're doing to improve learning Time to share my highlights from this year. My first is from an episode of The Research Files published in June. After the release of four papers on science learning in the early years, I caught up with co-author of the report, Gail O'Connor, a senior research fellow at ACER. We covered so much in this episode and Gail offered a bunch of practical tips, which I'm sure would have been really thought provoking for our listeners. One point I'd like to highlight here, though, is where Gail shares an interesting point on how educator confidence plays a part in facilitating science education in the early years. If you'd like to catch up on the rest of this episode, you can search for episode 59 of The Research Files wherever you get your podcasts. Here's Gail. Many early years educators are already science educators. They don't think about themselves as that, but they're already setting up fantastic tables in the corner, which are the science tables with really amazing objects for the kids to go and have a look at, and a magnifying glass perhaps on hand or a microscope. Um, but it's really just taking that extra step to actively ask questions of the children as they're using those objects, having a look at them and saying, oh, let's compare that one to that one. How's that one different? Oh, I wonder where that animal lives. So that's one way to start to um, build confidence and it's okay not to know all of the answers to questions children might raise we know they can come up with some really tricky and random questions it's okay to say well that, wow that's a great question let's find out together because that's what scientific inquiry is about and that's fine that was a great one Dom um, lots of really interesting evidence-based info in the series of papers there for early years and early primary educators and uh, actually if you go to the transcript of that episode on the teacher site a reminder it's episode 59 of the research files you will find links through to the series of papers 
and there are also some practical learning activities that go with them. So if you're wanting some actual activities in science and some guidance on those, that information and the free resources are there as well. Okay, before we move on to the next highlight, a big shout out to our podcast sponsors this year and to our founding partner, Bank First. Their support means we can keep on doing what we're doing here at Teacher. I recently caught up with Bank First acting CEO, Matthew Ricker, for a quick end of year chat. Hi Matthew, great to speak to you. In this highlights episode, we've been looking back on our podcast from 2020. Of course, it's been uh, such a challenging year, starting with the bushfires and then the pandemic. Bank First is a customer-owned bank, and I know that customers and supporting the community are really at the heart of what you do. Yeah, that's right, Joe. Uh, we are a values-based customer-owned bank. Um, we believe in care and empowering people and believe in those who care about others. Um, we put our customers first and all of our profits are really there to go back to better products and services for our customers as they're really our shareholders. So we're driven by care and compassion and committed to providing a better banking experience to all the people and occupations that drive a better community for us. And teachers, leaders, educators and support staff working in schools, they've really gone above and beyond in 2020. Um, Bank First was founded in 1972 for teachers. A major part of your communications this year, including through Teacher Magazine, of course, has been about thanking educators, hasn't it? Yeah, that's right, Joe. Um, yeah, the, this year has, has thrown up some incredible challenges for everybody in terms of adapting, and, and certainly our educators have been right at the front line of that and can only imagine the, the agility that they've needed. So we developed our thank you campaign and as a bank that's, uh, that started off and exists to serve the education community, we were just so proud to offer our support and thanks during this difficult period. And sometimes you can't really um, do a lot other than say those words. And, um, and we just feel that the education community has gone above and beyond during these times. And so offering strength, compassion, dedication, skill and expertise to all of their um, constituents has been fantastic. So. More, now more than ever, the Bank First team gives our thanks to our educators. Your acting CEO following the retirement of William Walkie, Michelle Bagnell will be taking on the role of permanent CEO in the new year. We wish Bank First every success for 2021. From everyone in the teacher team, thanks for your continued support. Thanks, Joe, and we thank you for your support. Uh, it's been fantastic and we look forward to working with you and the education community as we head into 2021. That was Matthew Ricker there from Teacher Founding Partner, Bank First. And you can find out more about their products and services at bankfirst.com.au. Okay, back to you, Dom. Let's move on to my next podcast highlight now and the final for this episode. It's a more recent episode where we put the spotlight on a school in Tasmania. It's episode 28 in our school improvement series titled Refocusing Teaching and Learning. I spoke with Principal Elizabeth Humphreys and Assistant Principal Nicole Wilson from East Derwent Primary School about how they turned around their school from one where behaviour management was the focus of getting through each day to one where staff were truly committed to each student succeeding. It was an inspiring story of school improvement which began after the school was invited to participate in a Tasmanian Department of Education initiative. The initiative focused on play and inquiry, and Elizabeth and Nicole explain in the episode how adopting it led to more engaged students, which of course, in turn, led to fewer behaviour management issues. 
The point I'd like to highlight here is where Elizabeth explains the impact this program has had on their school community. It's had a huge impact indeed. So our system data shows that um, across the school, our suspensions have decreased by 75% between 2017 and 2020. Um, and we also have a school database where behaviours that are needing support from senior staff are recorded. Um, in 2018, our senior staff team uh, processed over 2,000 of those behaviour issues. Um, and halfway through this year, we, we had only 400, which is you know, on track for an 80% decrease. So physical aggression is now a rarity. Students get back on track quickly because they're engaged, I think, and um, because they actually really want to be at school and they want to be in classrooms because they're experiencing success. Uh, walking through our classrooms today, you can see students who are happily engaged in hands-on learning, building their own understandings through play and inquiry, making connections across the curriculum, um, all in a collaborative way. It's a much calmer, focused school. Well, that's it for another year. The podcasts we featured today were just some of those published in 2020. There's plenty more from this year, along with our full back catalogue in the archive. In fact, there are now more than 180 to binge on, from our series on behaviour management, school improvement, the research files, teaching methods, action research, global education, our monthly teacher staff room catch-ups and the special episodes. You can get them on the teacher website or wherever you get your podcasts. Hit the subscribe button to make sure you don't miss out. A reminder that we also publish a full transcript of every episode on our website. As I say, that's it for this year. From everyone in the teacher team, thanks to you, our listeners. And of course, to all our guests and sponsors this year. We'll be back in early January.